Welcome to the After Later podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm your host, John Wessling. Joining me is my permanent co-host, uh, Mr. Tommy Drake. Tommy, how are you today, buddy? I'm doing okay, Johnny. How are you today? I like. I, I'm. I'm okay. I'm. I think okay is the right answer, right? I feel like it used to be everyone had to force positivity. Like I'm doing great. I'm fantastic. But I don't think that's that's realistic anymore, is it? We're going for a certain level of honesty here. Yeah. After later, I think, and I'll tell yeah. you, I'm I'm doing okay. I'm suffering from some anxiety. I have oh, some yeah. health problems, but I also have been put into perspective by the uh, things that some of my dear friends are dealing with right now all over the world. So I feel fortunate and grateful today. Oh, look at that. Is but that, that the... doesn't necessarily mean that I'm feeling well. I get it. <laughs> I get it. You're, you're trying to maintain what they call the attitude of gratitude. Yes, right. Exa exactly. Which, you know, keeping things in perspective is all great, but all it really does is squelch complaining. It doesn't make you actually feel better. It just makes you feel like a, a bitch for complaining about it, right? Like, a, a, that, that's what I always got from it. Like, whenever I have a bad day and someone puts things in perspective that, that yes, it can be worse, I'm like, okay, good. Message received. Stop complaining. <laughs> Stop tempting the fates and ask for ask for a second helping of, of shit. Just, just smile and finish your plate and move on to the next one. Hey, John, here's an idea. How about I skip way far ahead to something that we do on After Later all the time. Imagine this. Imagine the ancient alien theory. Imagine that the visitors who communicate with us telepathically yes. uh, uh, came down to Earth years ago and let us believe that they were gods and creators. Yeah. And if they can communicate telepathically, then prayer works either way. Oh, I see what you're saying. Whether it's a god or an alien. So if I if I this morning sat on my back porch and thought, you know, I'm not feeling great, but I'm grateful for all that I have. And uh, let me ask the universe for a couple of things that I want. One of the powerful aliens in orbit's gonna hear that with their telepathy. Right. And if they have nothing to do today, they might come grant a wish. That would be cool. That's a good way to look at it. I like I like that. You, I like your your vision there that they're. Our extraterrestrial caretakers, our uh, wish makers. You know what I mean? And you know, it's it seems nice. Like they could just decide, just as arbitrarily as a god would, right? That hey, here's a random person down here expressing something. You know what? I can make them happy today. I can make them happy today, and probably cement my status as a god even further. Let's go down there and give this dude a bike, or you know, what? bring him some weed. Well, you know, it's the it's a it's a parenting thing, right? And you were we talked earlier, and you were doing some some serious parenting, which is a uh, sometimes a, sometimes a burden, but sometimes it's a gift as well. Of course, you're making uh, you're making pita quesadillas for four kids. Yeah, I was cranking them out today. Uh, big well, hit, big hit at lunch today. Yeah, while while you're on, but you're you're the god. You're gifting you're gifting the kids things all the time you know and why wouldn't you and if they if they're asking for something uh if they're grateful first dad thanks for that goes a long way thanks for making me that pita wow that was so that was the best lunch i've had in a long time i really appreciate you and now i, I need four dollars <laughs> perfect that's exactly what they do that's I, if do it, it was only four that's a that's a soft hit right there four four bucks they can get from petty cash they got a they get up to 20 north of 20 is when they got to kind of me uh for listeners of after later you know that this was born in the aftermath of COVID 19 so you've heard me basically live action parent quite a bit on the after later podcast but here's one of the uh if you compare me to a god i think that's crazy tom but i i will uh, accept it for purposes of this conversation and here's how you can tell during an interview or any kind of recording that you're dealing with an angry god not being respected by his minion if you hear this you while we're just talking and carrying on you hear you hear that, that snap that's me sternly telling a child in earshot to shut the fuck up they, they hear it. they hear it these are like this is like uh, uh odin whenever he would you know send angry thor smashing lightning and thunder yes yes same thing but I'm, I'm. What I'm talking about is, of course, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare uh, uh, compare you to a god. I know that we're men, but I'm talking about perspective here. Oh yeah. And we're gonna. We have an interview that we did, the part two, uh, with of Open Kimono, right. where we speak to Dan Diceman Drake about being in a position 
uh, uh, where where he could be perceived as a god yeah. by by people by the uh, the cults the uh, the cargo cults in the Pacific, right. and and we discussed this that some if they're advanced enough, and if they have gifts, and if they have abilities that you don't have, why not? They're to you, they're gods, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Tommy, let's get on to it. Before we get into uh, part two of our open kimono series with your brother, Lieutenant Commander Dan Diceman Drake. U.S. Navy uh, aviator. Uh, quick little announcement for those of you who are uh, listening to the podcast. Appreciate you listening. Welcome to all the new listeners that we have uh, here on the podcast. Follow us on Twitter. It's the best way to reach us uh, on Twitter. It's at after later, A-F-T-E-R-L, the number eight, the letter E-R. Also on Facebook, we have a page. Uh, just search for after later podcast. Uh, we are available on all of the major podcast platforms don't know how you're listening to it personally right now at home uh but whichever one you're on uh, appreciate your listen uh please throw us a subscription and uh rate and review tommy i gotta say of all of my friends who are near or approaching my age you have done the best at avoiding the traps of modern technology and and modern social media but i fear that your, your your new foray into podcasting, seeing how you're taking to it, I feel like this is going to lead you to getting a smartphone and lead you to getting on Twitter because the you got you got people on Twitter who are talking to us at After Later who are trying to talk to you. You do know that, Tom. Is this going to break you? I'm recording my audio over a ham radio in my garage right now, John. I don't I don't know, and I actually have to pedal while I'm doing this. Right. Um. It might, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I can. I, I like uh, being able to talk to you about interesting topics, and I love the guests that we're chatting with. So if I have to, if I have to get some devices or get a Twitter oh, account, man. I might be willing to be weird. That. It'll yeah. be the end of an know. era. I mean, I'll feel actually. We, we've all tried to be the one that, that got you into the 21st century, but if it actually happens, I will feel a little sad. Like you had, like the first guy who replaced Cal Ripken Jr. Oh, when yeah. he when he stepped out, you know. Yeah, you know, and I'll, I'll be, I'll be okay with it. I just, uh, if, if, if you're out there, uh, you know, professionally, sometimes with comedy, there's people that we know peripherally. If you message me, I'm not going to message you back yeah. right away. Right. I'm not that guy. And if that's yeah. a deal breaker, let it break the deal. So even if I get the smartphone, John, I'm mm-hmm. still going to get back to you. And that's fair. 36 to 48 hours. I, I, you've relished, especially your time at sea, you've relished in the, uh, the unavailability. It goes a long way. It feels nice. A rarity, right? It's, yes. Oh, yeah. look, oh, oh, shit. Look at that. Oh, my God. That is actual flip phone sound recorded live. Man, send that to the fucking Smithsonian. That sounds like it was set up there. That was actually, it. Did no, was it? Was I, it? I forgot to. I forgot to turn all my stuff down. I have all this background. The, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, buddy. That's uh, this, you know, this fits in with the after later uh, aesthetic. So let's bring in. Let, let's get back to this uh, interview. Uh, it was really, really good. Let's talk about uh, episode two of Open Kimono uh, with your with your brother Dan. <laughs> yes. Uh, you need to call him real quick. To... Uh, no, I'm just trying to shut all the sound off. You know, just trying okay. to prep since we're. No, that's good. I liked it. Prep. I liked it, folks. What you heard there was him texting, to where he <laughs> to get a certain letter, he has to press a number three times to make the letter appear. Um, this this is what I think. I think we're doing it in a respectful way. But in this in this cut of a very long interview that we did with Dan that you're about to release, where we talk about the cargo cults. Um, we're talking about God, and uh, I think we're doing it in a respectful way. If you're a religious person, I don't think it's going to bother you. Um, and uh, my brother Dan's actually very versed on all the religions of the world, and I know a lot about you know Christianity and the, uh, the Abrahamic religions there. Mm, yeah. Um, so, so we're being respectful, but we're talking about in the moment what can be a God to you, and we're talking about something that happened in World War II that's fascinating with the cargo cults. Uh, but uh, it's it's about perspective, and if if you heard the first episode of Open Kimono, you heard my brother Dan talking about some encounters he had with unidentified flying objects in the air, not necessarily aliens, but unidentified flying objects. And we skip from that, and we put Dan in the position of being the alien. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting with well, his we'll training and his background 
how he responds in both of those positions, being the subject and being the God. I'm doing air quotes right now. You That's fine. See those. It's, yeah. it's good podcasting. <laughs> John, what do you think about this ancient alien idea? Before we get to Dan, real quick, do you think a future technology could could have landed years ago and made them believe that they were magical gods? Absolutely. Started a religion? I think, uh, you know, the, the, the ancient Egyptians could have just been a random tribe of native peoples and then some Battlestar Galactica-style crew pulled up in a wounded spaceship and needed to set up shop for a while and figure out how to tap into the, this planet's uh, magnetic core so they showed them how to how to build those pyramids so that they could recharge their ship to leave and so yeah absolutely it totally it, it makes almost it almost makes Occam's razor sense like it's almost the thing that makes the most sense you know but you know we'll, we'll see let's talk let's talk to Dan I don't want to pre-interview it more than let, let's let's see what let's see what you think and see what the people think when they talk to Dan excellent well I, what can I say? I love you guys. And this is going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think uh, we are, we're, we're drifting off into more theoretical stuff. And I dig that because I dig having these discussions in general and having them with you two just uh, scratches all the itches. Well, uh, last time in our, in our first hour, I felt yeah. bad because you didn't get to do any of the fun stuff. We didn't get to do any of the speculating, you know, any of the, it was, uh, yeah, it was a little bit all business and uh, more like, you know, a straight up interview and, and it was, it, that's how it seemed. And believe it or not, I did a little research uh, before this just to see what was, if anybody else was nosing around with this on the podcasts yeah. and there were a couple yeah. of them and they were not very good. So <laughs> I am holding us to a higher standard tonight. And oh, wow. uh, I think we're going to be, they're going to be in good shape because everything I wanted to talk about, none of the other knuckleheads were talking about. And this should well, be fun. Yeah. You know, I think we can take it a step further uh, with our creative and science minds. And I got to tell you uh, the comments that we have received on the first hour of our interview with you are, are really exciting. Oh, really? You know, and people any. are using the word riveting. And I know you've, you know, you've been a writer for a long time, but I know lately you've been writing movie scripts. Yeah. And I think that sort of came out in your storytelling oh, uh, last time you were here. Good. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about doing another hour with Dan Dice Mandrake on the After Later podcast with the original host and creator of the After Later podcast, John Wessling. John, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent, dude, and it is nice to be back and and to revisit some of this. We have, we have a lot of follow up questions, uh, Dan, and we definitely want to get ridiculous with you. Yeah, for um, sure. I am a little. I, I was a little. I got I got hair stood up on my arm whenever you you sound like you're going to whip us into some military shape. Now that seems <laughs> you're like I demand excellence this go around. Like oh oh shit. Okay, all right. I'm going to have to sit up the there entire time. That's it. Um, actually, my my Dan, hair is the- not in regulation. I'm a little nervous about that. <laughs> I think the first thing that we have to talk about is the most important thing. This is, I mean, this has been out for a few days now. You have been out for a few days now, and you said some things that are that are controversial. You know, I'm worried about your military legacy uh, because you basically admitted to cheating on a colorblindness test to become a baby. <laughs> That's true. Not cheating, studying for the colorblindness yeah. Clever. test is different, right? Right. Well, I was a little concerned you were going to get black bagged and you were going to get uh, rendition thrown in, a, in you know, the matching pair of SUVs we hear about. That's the new oh, men in black, right? Yeah, no, I, I kept on the lookout for that. I have what I like to call as the God spot in my cul-de-sac. My office has a 270 de- degree view of the block. So if it goes down and that would be, you know, the, the proverbial it. Uh, I, I have a pretty good, uh, pretty good sniper's nest up here. Today. Oh, that's fun. I like, I, I like that you probably, and I, I imagine that you've probably drilled, uh, on, on the procedures. Like, is there a code no, word on the phone? Confirm nor deny that, uh, I have several exit plans at the family. Okay. That's good. Like yeah. a text message <laughs> to the missus just says, uh, pick up green olives and then shh, everybody 
just like that just means I'll, I'll, I'll meet you in Damascus in six Banana. months. Banana is <laughs> a safe word. Banana is a safe word. And we're Dan, out. I got I to gotta tell you, I think the greatest joke in the world would have been if you agreed to do another hour with us and then came on and said nothing and denied everything. <laughs> yeah. uh, redaction. Someone had gotten to you. <laughs> uh, a fully redacted podcast would be great. We're still left our re- our uh, like uh, reactions in like, wow, that's fascinating. So Dan, tell us more about yeah, and I do my I do my Frank Prantangeli, draw myself a hot bath, and take a nap. Yeah. Well, where do you want to start? Uh, 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 real life, real life comment about what you talked about last time. Yeah. Uh, because I think it's I think it's interesting and an interesting idea, and then we'll uh, we'll move on to some more speculating stuff. But this is speculating. Uh, a friend of mine who listened uh, uh-huh. said that they felt that. Uh, light filling the inside of your uh, of your helicopter was them uh, taking a photo or a scan of your vehicle and they felt the same about whatever the electrical pulse or the lightning was could have been and i thought that was interesting because if you wanted to scan machinery or even humans for uh for how their brains are working you would use some sort of electrical pulse i think yeah very much i, I think so i mean you want to you send some type of energy into whatever you're looking at and then look for the return right right and in the you know in the case of of taking photos we you know fill the darkness with light and then capture it really quickly i mean that's the tech right and that hasn't changed and light doesn't change the way that it it's absorbed or the way that it travels and that is it's an that's interesting because light did fill the cockpit and it was more like somebody had their landing light aimed right at us and now when you think about it and the way that was described i did describe it the way that it happened and thinking about it now it couldn't have just been a landing light it had to have been something that was either omnidirectional or aimed at us you know our landing lights are you know directional right we don't aim them down because we're not landing down we want to see ahead of ourselves so that is interesting that somebody pointed that out and i hadn't even thought of that um yeah, and the same thing with the, the, I do still think the discharge had to do with our being too close to each other. And that's just physics happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, right. And we talked, we talked about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we did. Time. Yeah. That was, and, you know, something I was happy about is, you know, the few places I shared it, you know, with my buddies, I, they, you know, a couple of them came out and said, you know, wow, you know, that they were, they were on board with it. And it wasn't, you know, these are, these are buddies I flew with. They were like, you know, yeah can't you know can't believe that that happened to you too and not that they couldn't believe it they were like oh my god finally type thing so someone else is saying it yeah it's well, uh I, I i got a question uh, uh dan like uh, about what the what tommy was just talking about but mm-hmm. mine's more about the second um encounter you described the one over the indian, indian ocean. ocean one yeah yeah is that when you said you got yeah, you guys were pulling away and then it was like a like you got a hit with a static buzz right yeah was, was that who yeah I, we thought it was it, it was either <laughs> so the only other counter john is that we hit, got hit by lightning which oh was, yeah well, wait, yeah so it could not <sighs> have been lightning yeah, yeah exactly yeah, right? yeah uh, been, right. but but let me ask if if the first one was the bright light which could just be a scan that doesn't come across necessarily or legally i guess you could say even as an act of aggression but some sort of buzzing ray or whatever would you have been out of line to take that as a shot like a yes especially since you were in the war theater like you're on the way to this is during a gulf war i mean you know chingasos have been thrown as they say on the streets yeah Uh, so what you're what you're talking about is does it uh where do i fall where do i qualify that action and the how do the rules of engagement apply Right. Yeah, right. But it, so, am I wrong in seeing that that seems like a little bit of a different thing between having your picture taken and the thing that because that could no, very no, well, especially no, with no. those sonic weapons and stuff they have nowadays that we know about. Yep. So ROE wise, uh, believe it or not, lasing, I have a laser designator on my my FLIR and that is used to target the Hellfire missile. So is it an act of war to laze somebody? Absolutely it is. Is the laser okay. visible? Nope. But what will blind you if you end up staring at it? Like if somebody's looking at me and they say, oh, there's a helicopter out there and I happen to laze the bridge. Well, the, 
the spot gets larger, the diameter increases mm -hmm. the further away it gets from the source, right? So it's not a pinpoint laser. It ends up being maybe you know, between, between five and 10 feet in diameter that I'm using to illuminate the bridge at say maybe, you know, four and a half clicks, maybe out there four and a half kilometers or so. Uh -huh. And so I'm illuminating at that range, which is, you know, roughly two, two and a half miles, something like that. I'm effectively blinding anybody that looks at it and they won't even know it. They won't even feel it. It's not like it's bright. I just lays the back of their, their retinas and <laughs> 30 minutes later, they're blind. So that's an act of war right there. You can't actively lay somebody unless you have the authorization uh, to do it. And so there's, there's levels of, uh, it's, it's called there's threat conditions that we use. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they step up as the threat becomes more imminent. And then the rules of engagement, whether or not we can use our weapons, we have weapons are, uh, you know, hold tight and free weapons free means it's like the old West. Yeah. Just fucking... <laughs> uh, weapons, weapons tight falls into that type of situation where you have this, this, um, uh, you know, you have, it's either, you know, every action has an equal and opposite. That's where you have to consider it and have to sometimes get permission and the weapons are hold are cannot do it at all. And sometimes okay. I have authorization. If I were the aircraft commander, I had authorization to uh, protect myself and self-defense is always, uh, you know, you're always authorized to, to fire back if you are fired upon uh, as long as it happened, you know, they you also have it. authorization to perform uh, marriage, don't you? Yeah, it's nice to see. Yeah, <laughs> should over water. Yeah. I believe that's the UN uh, principle of "don't start none, won't be none." It's funny. Sometimes you know you do not want to be the captain of a naval ship, U.S. naval ship, in in foreign ports and have all this authority. It's it's one of those uh, those funny things where you know somebody runs up to the ship and and requests asylum. That's Ooh. yeah, you know that happened. That's happened. We, you know, we had an incident where we uh, found some smugglers, and we took them on board, confiscated their uh, hashish that they were using to trade for weapons, and uh, oh, we had to end up passing cops, that man. on. I know, right, cops, right? <laughs> but uh, no, they were they. I had to convert one of my hangers into a makeshift brig while we transferred them and oh, wow. we, were, we tried to keep the captain you know as far away from them as possible so none of them would request asylum um that was it was an interesting interesting time uh back then you know john and i remember that because the prices went up yeah that was a tough week for us <laughs> thanks a lot hey, well, well uh, dan you know, the uh, funny thing is we all had to sign waivers because we couldn't pass drug tests because we were so close to it we were too uh, close. clever uh, yeah. clever yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, it was a lot of guys went down there on do on a uh, hash duty just moving it around from one <laughs> side about 1.5 million worth it was uh, it was a pretty good haul and then we blew up their their cargo down the next day so, yeah yeah well, good 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 stuff. good Good job. Now, I uh, my, my one of my follow up questions to the, what you just said about the, the rules of engagement that you have yeah. for being fired upon or how to act things. I mean, this is where I feel like you might say, I don't know if I can talk about this, but mm -hmm. do they have those four possible extraterrestrial encounters? Like if you're that guy and you're right there with obviously a hovering thing with grays popping out of it. What are the yeah. what, what if they say, take me to your leader? Who do you take them to? Who do you how do you phone that in? or if they shoot at you so an actual so am i being shot at or are they, am i being I don't know. prisoner uh, what are you allowed to approach what do you how do you call it in what's uh, or do they even do so, they even bother t uh, having uh, a, a a binder for that in the back of the seat so you know what it's called believe it or not it's called the what if binder we okay. actually we actually have a big thick binder called the what if binder that that grows the the longer we're out there with, hey, this situation came up. This is how we reacted to it. Put it in the and, what if uh, binder. Yeah, we try to pass around the what if binder. However, in a situation like this, your first, my first job is to protect the aircraft and crew, right? So that's my responsibility is to safely operate the aircraft. And if we are flying into something not safe, and we're not under orders to fly into that to, you know, to relieve us of that 
you know, so we're actually proceeding at risk, then I have to protect the aircraft and the crew. Meaning that if I have to fire in self-defense, I will. But at the same time, and this is like, now it's starting to sound like the opening of Star Trek, to boldly go where no one has gone before. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, my, that, my job that night in the Indian Ocean was to go out and identify everything out there that we didn't already know about. So in that situation, I needed to approach until I saw that it was something unsafe. And then we continued to follow it to try to identify it. But then when it turned at us, we turned away because we did not want to, you know, put the aircraft in harm's way, either collide with them or do the, the standoff or, you know, play, you know, effectively play chicken or freight train the other aircraft. Cause at the time, all we knew was that it was another aircraft that was hovering over the water and was much faster than us. And we started to put it together. That's that something else was going on. And the next thing we knew we got hit by that, by that charge and they were gone. And then we kind of got our, <laughs> we said, you got to get your story straight, right? Yeah. Right. Right. But it's four hours. <laughs> so we're back to the carrier. Yeah. <laughs> all of us, all of us had to say, well, what did we just see? And then we had to look around and say, what evidence did it leave? And believe it or not, we looked, you know, the day after we didn't see any evidence on the rotors, didn't see evidence on the body of the aircraft that we had been hit by the discharge. So that, that was disturbing. I mean, not so much that it isn't something that, that would, you know, happen often, you know, if we flew into weather, yeah, we could get hit by, hit by lightning. And that's, you know, why you avoid thunderstorms or, or areas where it's, you know, really dry and, and, and active like that, because you know that you're stirring up the electricity. Never, ever did I imagine getting hit by something so like, you know, decisively strong and in proximity to another aircraft. It was just really, really odd the way that it went down. Could I, and the, you know, the original question is, you know, what would I do? What's the rules of engagement against an alien? Anything is alien if I don't know what it is. Okay. If they're not identifying themselves, they're not answering me on the radio when I call them. If they don't look like anything I've ever seen before in the FLIR. Um, and if they're moving at a speed much fast, if they go from zero to, you know, breaking the sound barrier, I've never seen anything do that before. Right. So especially without putting off uh, sonic booms. Yeah. That's another and, thing that was and, and right too. there and right there, I am at a complete disadvantage. So my, Believe it or not, my, and it's going to sound, you know, I'm not, I'm not jumping on the grenade, but my sole responsibility there is to get the crew back and the aircraft back safely. 100%. Well, this is, this is leading to uh, some of the fun stuff, Dan. And I love that you're talking about ROE's rules of engagement and yeah. your training. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't want to say this in an insulting way, but it's, you know, it's some of the best training on the planet. So some of it is actually uh, programming. It's in there subconsciously for you. And I'm going to put you in some Absolutely. science fiction situations here, and we're going to use your training. Now, yeah. already you sort of switched positions because we were talking about why they would illuminate your, uh, your vehicle with light or something. And you talked about, you put yourself in the position of the aliens uh, shooting, shining your laser on somebody. So I want to put you in that position because I was thinking about it. You have the background of an astronaut. You're the type of person who wow. becomes an astronaut. You have a lot of that training. So Appreciate you're that. the type of person in a different timeline who we would send to Mars. And, and you have this military background. So I want to ask you, we're going to play make-believe. Okay. I sent you guys both a picture of the Temple of SETI, and it looks like there's a helicopter hieroglyph from whatever, 4,500 years ago. Uh, let's pretend that you're over the Indian Ocean. Mm -hmm. and you get this buzz and the buzz goes away everything's different you lose contact you can't find your ship okay you fly to land you magically land in ancient egypt how about that now you're the alien now with your training what are your rules would you rules of engagement rules of diplomacy mm. what do you do how do you interact with those people who immediately think that you're uh, you're a powerful god, right? What do you so, do when you're in the alien position? First thing you want to do is let them know that you're not a threat, and you want to assess whether they're a threat to you and your. Now I've seen the movies, and usually they point spears at you. Then you give them chocolate, 
Then you show them your watch, and so, then they make you a landing strip. Is that yeah. how it works? <laughs> there you go. So yeah. So uh, uh, Gobekli Tepe is that what we're talking about there? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yes, yes. So that I mean that, and you think about it. What is you know what what can we what can we bring? So you know, first thing that we have you know you know in common is that we both need light. We both need. You, you know, we need water, we need food, we need, you know, heat, shelter, all of those things. I mean, it's going to be obvious at first that we look similar and then we'll try to communicate and, you know, we so look up and we... That you would show them your artificial lights and, and like offer this as like, this is something we have that could help you. Yeah, I think I would show them my, I would, I would show them my hands first. I would, you know, try to communicate and I would try to, you know, to draw i would try to keep them away from the helicopter because I, I don't know i don't want them first of all i don't want them to get hurt i don't want them to yeah. see me as a threat so right so right away i'm in a situation now where i feel like i'm probably going to be taken prisoner okay right. and if i'm outnumbered then i'm going to have to you know go for the diplomacy play the diplomacy card i'm not going to make a perimeter you know i don't have you know I don't, I don't first of all i don't have the crew to do that i'm i'm not gonna try to to shoot i mean we you know we were armed during the war when we flew i had a i had a six hour uh nine millimeter with three clips of 13 that i flew with and that was enough to keep you know that, that's for sharks if we crash in the water and that's that's not me getting in a gunfight with you know anybody you know who is gonna take me prisoner and hold me prisoner of war so I don't really have, you know, we have a gun on the door, 50 cal on the door, and that'll keep them, keep them off of us if we're, but only, you know, you know, 500 rounds worth. <laughs> but that's a, that's a last resort. Your first plan when you're outnumbered like that, diplomacy to protect have your to crew. Yeah. And, and curiosity too, right? Because that's part of it. I mean, if, and if they're, you know, and, and seeing everybody's okay, because we do have the capability to help, right? So I don't know in that situation, and then realizing that I'm in, okay, I'm in ancient Egypt and I, I figure it out that that's where it is. And then we start trying to, to figure out where we are, you know, where in the world and what are they speaking? What do the pictures look like? Do these hieroglyphs look like anything that we've seen before? And can <laughs> I now, can I now communicate with them? You know, it, it almost becomes let's, a, let's it's pretend. A, it's a let's pretend that you have a Stargate type. That you have a couple other communication experts with you. Let's pretend you're mm. able to communicate with them. Right. Yeah. Do you tell them who you really are? So, I mean, what you want to do is try to to gain the most experience from them. So, if there's if there's like universal translator there and we can communicate, yeah. then we start. I would. For me, I would start trading information. I would say, what do you guys have and where are you at? You'd my start sharing math and oh my uh, God, my curiosity like would absolutely take over. We'd start, we would start going down the math road. We would start going down the uh, astronomy road. You know, where we would, I would look up in the sky and see what the Big Dipper looked like. I would say, where are the stars? You know, we, we took celestial nav at school and, you know, I, we learned the list of the brightest stars. We know how to navigate by the stars. Um, that's, that's part of it. I would, I would be curious to see what everything looked like to see how far in the past I was. I would want to okay, see if um, they had engineered any batteries. I would want to see how their uh, wheels and roads were engineered. I would be absolutely <laughs> curious to see what they had discovered or invented that we hadn't or if they we didn't gone, gone a different path we're getting into some ancient alien talk now and yeah <laughs> i think it's really cool that you really quick got to uh sharing you know science with them or sharing yeah. math with them seeing where they were at because that's a big part of the ancient alien theory that uh you know somebody uh if somebody you know who, who was advanced ended up in ancient egypt they would right. start trying to communicate and they would share uh, geometry and things like that. They would share building techniques, you know, they would share medical stuff. Uh, so it's cool that you went there uh, with your training. That kind of, that makes me excited because I wanted to talk to you about, and this is all along the same line about the cargo cults. And I hate, I hate, it, it's oh, just yeah. alliteration, right? But it's, yeah. they're real religions. Yeah. You know, it's as much of a cult as any other religion on the planet. Yeah. 
Um, think about that. Think it. about how that how that developed, though, and and how you know the small island communities in the Pacific that we just you know decided to use as you know as as outposts. Um, you know, did did cargo cults uh, <laughs> grow around the? you know, the, the army as they proceeded out West. I mean, think about the go, go to dances with wolves, right. That did a cult form around John Dunbar, you know, because he had bacon and coffee. <laughs> Good right, hour, I suppose. Right. right. Didn't, it didn't happen that way. Right. No. And it, it was one of those situations where we brought more than they had and we gave it away and we did, you know, we did, we did become gods. And I, I find it curious that when you asked me the question, I didn't immediately go to, I would build myself a throne and, <laughs> and prove that I was smarter than they were and immediately assume that position of, of, you know, grandiosity over them. I, I don't that, you know, what, would you rather be the skipper or the professor? I guess I'd rather hmm. be the professor on Gilligan's Island. Right. That's, that's kind of how it ends up. And uh, you know, it's, it's where, and it doesn't mean that I, you know, I, I push away from leadership, but you know, quite the opposite. I like being in charge of what's going on and, and making the call. But at that point in given that situation, I would like to know what they knew and why they knew it or why they thought well, they with, knew it with, that way. with your training, mm -hmm. was it ethically wrong for C3PO oh. to let the Ewoks believe that he was a God? <laughs> yeah, so, but so, so here's, <laughs> it's funny because yeah. I taught ethics for a while too. I was a, I know that you was, did, and I yeah. I really think Return of the Jedi did it well. So many movies have done this, right? And I didn't realize till much later in life that Lucas was sort of making fun of these cargo cults a little bit. It is that is what you know, what can you bring? And I, I I'm I'll tell you right now that I you know paid for a week's worth of cab rides in Thailand with a ship's zippo lighter that cost me oh wow i don't know nine bucks and they loved it you know taxi driver loved it and i was like now you she don't want to be no no you gave me the lighter boss i'm like all right all right fine so a nine dollar lighter was taxi rides uh, for three days in phuket thailand and i mean is that a little bit of a little bit of cargo cultish there i suppose uh, and so it becomes what is valuable but, but to him you were just rich he didn't relative. think you were a god. Well, yeah. he no, you had, no, no. It's you all relative, though. So trinkets to give away, right? Sure, but then, but then, what were we giving? What were the cargo cults bringing? They were bringing, you know, they were bringing, you know, water. Food, yeah, they had they had some processed food. They had some electronics that were really cool, bit, right? And they had rifles that well, that are really cool. And know? those lighters. You're talking that that lighter. Think about it. it. You can be a god with a lighter to the right uh, to the right. Um, yeah, unevolved. No, yeah, like if, if someone's a, essentially a caveman and you hand them a Zippo, yeah. you have handed them a, a magical tool <laughs> from the future. Well, you are, you are a flammable fuel would be very valuable. I if think, you research like that. that, though, think about it and think about how that communication train breaks off too and how easy it is. You know, I, I find it hard. And I tell my students all the time, why is it that we play the telephone game in kindergarten? And it becomes as far away from our experience. It's one of our primary experiences, but it becomes so far away and we never play it again because we know how it ends up, hmm. but it's so critical. I, I tell them every problem is a communication problem. Okay. And the cargo cults are called the cult of, do you guys know? It's John from, right? Yeah. John from America. It's me. John it's from America. Right. So it is, a, you, so they misheard it, carried it forward. It's telephone gamed. Right there. That's the telephone game. Completely misheard it. And, and that's how it goes. And, and can you <laughs> carrying John from also it's been, it's been 70 years yeah. since world war two. John from is uh, he's grown. He's a, he's a giant. Mm -hmm. uh, he's sometimes he's black. Sometimes sure. he's white. Sometimes he's magical. Sometimes mm -hmm. he's beautiful. He's really turned into a character in about four generations that is comparable to so many gods. So there's your telephone game right there. Yeah. So something not written down, something not recorded. And even now you see, we can record something, take it out of context and change what it means. You change the meaning by interpreting it 
through a certain lens. I think that's, that's where it all comes back to point of view. So a hostile threat, a friendly, I consider myself friendly landing in, in ancient Egypt. And if I present myself not as a threat, do I look weak? And so do I become overtaken by them and I become the imp in a jar? If whoever, whoever the Pharaoh is keeps me there because I'm the smart one that landed but didn't fight. You know, you have to consider all those things. You know, diplomacy. If they immediately bow to you, do you think, think well, this is my best bet? Yeah, <laughs> I think you got to hover around and blow some shit up. Well, and that's, you know what I mean, John, there's another factor here. My, my brother, Dan's also very good at sleight of hand. So I would get that. God, just so, by, by pulling coins out of ears, you know, funny. Nice. You guys said that I, you now we're going down this. Now we're, we're peeking into my, my, well, I'm asking about you personally. I know no, what I would do. Dan, no, I know. You know what I would do. If I was in a foreign environment and I was mm. not safe. I would look to the kids. I would find a way to communicate with a child. Yeah. That's how I communicate, you know? And I think you would do a magic trick. I would. You know what? You you brought it up right there. I always flew with, you know, I had some lucky, you know, some lucky things in my 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 right pocket. We have this tiny little shoulder pocket. And uh, I had some lucky things in there. I had a pack of Beeman's gum. That then that's a Chuck Yeager reference right there. Mm -hmm. right. Uh, so I always flew with a pack of Beeman's gum. And, but I also, and I had my, my Sig Sauer and I had my clip, I had a clip in each leg pocket and one in the, the, the gun itself. But then I had a deck of cards in my right pocket too, because I always felt like the one thing that I could do, given if I was taken prisoner, if I could find a common ground, despite language by maybe doing a card trick, I, I thought that would be a way to start the conversation start start the diplomacy conversation maybe save myself from you know catching a beating or you know being tortured or something like that i thought it was an advantage now you know i went through seer school and i was the sro the senior ranking officer in seer school so i got a little more beating than everybody else and when everybody else screwed up i got some of the beating also and it was uh it was a great school it was a great experience uh learning that but i i learned how to how to react in those situations. And for me, I've been through SEER, been through advanced SEER too, which is uh, Air Force gives that training. Uh, and that, that's what we did on the way uh, over. And that, that training just uh, uh, is uh, your, your training being captured, right? Yes, it's SEER is survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. So the Air Force train. put on that training? Air Force, they're the best at it by far. And so what hotel did they put you first. up at? Was it the Hampton or is that a... <laughs> It's funny. Yeah, no, we give them a hard time, but they're, you know, they're courtyard by Marriott. Down to it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So no, it was good. So that we did Navy training at first and then Air Force gave us advanced seer training. And uh, it was, you know, it was more kind of, it was up in the head. It wasn't so much, you know, the advanced seer training wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't extra torture. I mean, we got everything. We got the waterboard, we got the ISO chamber, we got all those things. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like, it, like it was in the brochure. The Air Force. Before I forget, uh, John and I are going to interview uh, Don Jones, Don Two Jacks yeah, Jones, who, was, two jacks. Who, who flew jets in the Air Force. Yeah. And I, I asked Don specifically not to tell me if he had any experiences. Yeah. Uh, what are the odds <laughs> that Don Jones, with his Air Force flying experience, what are the odds you think that he's going to tell me that he had a, a UFO experience? 100%. <laughs> wow. He's going to tell you about that time he was flying the experimental Tic Tac off the coast of California back in 2004. <laughs> and then saw some helicopters. Yeah, that's right. I, sir, I was up to my dick in ballistics jelly inside this uh, Tic Tac hovering around, you know, doing uh, 3,000 G turns like I do. And uh, you should have seen them fly boys, man. Them Navy boys, they were just shitting themselves. <laughs> Well, Dan, I'll I should also so, mention our friend Michael Como, who we just uh, interviewed. Oh yeah, uh, okay. who's a who's a comic book author. Yeah, uh, listened to your interview, and he believes that the Tic Tac was uh, reverse engineered, being flown by us, and they're using it to test you guys. That's what he believes. So I'm just putting that out there. Interesting. That's an interesting yeah. point of view that we. Uh... We agree to disagree because we, well, we had that. If we had that tech, we're not using that tech very well right now, um, and that's that's something. That if you had that tech, you wouldn't need helicopters, right? 
No, we wouldn't. And we would be, and I'll tell you what, it, it, it blows the doors off of any drone that we have right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with all the uses of drones. Uh, drones don't need doors, by the way. No, yeah, there's no people in there. <laughs> oh, nice, uh, nice turn of phrase, and 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 thank you for holding me holding my feet against the uh, the idiom fire there and making sure I'm free. I'm totally cliche free. I'm just, Man, I'm I, apologize. I apologize. Cliche. All right. I, I had Fair a enough. moment uh, a couple of weeks ago that I thought would tickle you. Um, yeah. It was it was a news report, and they were talking about how good drones are getting. You know, the little remote control drones that people yeah. fly around. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, look how they're talking about, yeah, they're going to use them for delivery, for pizza, for blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. And once it, they're even working on a drone that can carry a human passenger. Yeah. And I went, wait, we already have those. That's a helicopter. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We've reinvented the helicopter. <laughs> so the, the unmanned, the unmanned aerial vehicle, and uh -huh. you're going to make it manned all the time. Yeah. Yeah, you're going backwards to try to show off. It is yeah. one of those things we got to examine what you're doing, and and you get you can get so far down the rabbit hole that you forget that you're in it sometimes. <laughs> well, that's like you know in the in the '90s, everybody was all excited uh, when the internet got fast enough to have real time live video going over the internet while they're sitting in front of their television sets. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, and so yeah. seriously, it all comes down to your point of view, and it's interesting that you're you're you know you guys interviewed somebody who thought that it was being used as a test. I 100% believe that it was not a test because I, wasn't I, I know you do. And I trust your instincts on that. And that's why I asked sure. you that question. Yeah. But and, you know, uh, comes down and point of view. I know, I know you well enough to know that uh, you and I have some uh, similar spidey senses yeah. about things like that, you sure. know, and you would, you would know if this test was going on. Well, well Tommy, it's a little bit like, this is the Pagliacci uh, uh, parable, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. Dan's like, I know that this could not possibly be top secret test pilots. I am the top secret test pilots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> clearly, that's not us because I am not behind the wheel, goddamn. <laughs> right. And that's, you always know that there could be something. You have to defer to, to it's something smarter than me operating. And you only go as far as you can. I just... It was so hard. And you said I was programmed to react a certain way. Well, we reacted. Yes. We reacted 100% the way that we were supposed to. I didn't, we didn't yeah. deviate from that. Brought The, the training back. is very good is what I'm saying. The training yeah, is very good. <laughs> so when we put you in these situations, that. you're going to tell us probably what an alien would do. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I think that is, you know, I'm, I'm sure two jacks is going to tell you the same thing that he whatever he reacted to you know you chase it to the limits of your own machine and your own rules of engagement and your own parameters you're not going to put yourself in an unsafe situation just for curiosity's sake because that's not the edict that's not the Ooh, well my my next question might make mm -hmm. you question your training dan okay uh, and I, it has to be right where what you just said, you're not going to put yourself in an unsafe situation just out of curiosity. Right. Uh, you're, you're chasing this thing. It turns around, it starts chasing you. Okay. It disappears. You yep. land safely mm -hmm. and it lands next to you. <laughs> and a humanoid okay. steps out in the shadow. Okay. And you're the ranking officer. You step forward and they motion for you to come towards them and join their craft. Okay. You're you're serving right now. It's wartime. Do okay. you go? Like hop on their ship? Like they're basically saying, yeah. like tossing you the keys, like you want to take your first spin. <laughs> we want to show you something. Yeah, come on up here, man. You I like the way you fly, kid. Come on he in. He shows nice you man. his hands. He beckons you forward. Gives Does you little boy Dan Drake take over at that point? And do you board this ship or does military train Dan Drake stand back and protect his crew? Oh boy. What a question there. Because I, you know, the first thing that pops into my head is Richard Dreyfus walking up to the UFO and turning around and looking back. 
Yeah. But then turning and walking up. How can you not, how can you pass up the chance? Yeah. Right. Something like that. Just if nothing else, not thinking that I'm going forever. Okay. But maybe just, and not thinking that we're even taking off, but maybe going over there and, and trying to find out as much as possible, because you know what, at that point, maybe I'm getting the advantage. Maybe if we're the nicest ones that they run into, that they'll help us out with some tech. Maybe I will learn something. Maybe I. So, uh, so this God, level of communication to. might be the best thing for your crew. Getting an advantage right there or to keep them from blowing us up. I have to communicate with somebody, right? We're not just going to, we're not just going to start shooting because that's not practical. We really want to try to figure, and they landed next to us. I, I want to figure out what's going on. That's an opportunity, I think, for all of us right there to try to to learn something about what we don't know is a is a threat or an asset right there. Right. Like a, it's like a debriefing opportunity. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, and if it was a threat, if they if they killed you or something, we would learn right away what was going on. <laughs> and oh, even right. that's a great opportunity, man. You know, that's a short well, list of people have been killed by extraterrestrials. So what was it? What what what's another one? Was it Harry and the Hendersons? The little kid was like, you know, helping out Bigfoot, and Bigfoot starts helping the kid out, right? Yeah, Is, isn't is that what you want? In a row where we talked about Harry and the Hendersons, mm -hmm. by the way. Oh, really? Sean and I just talked about it in another interview. Yeah. That's so from, funny. From completely different directions too, which is nice. Yeah. yeah, no, but think about that. I mean, you maybe they're the ones that end up helping you out. Like we, you know, we shake hands or we do the, you know, the 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 live long and prosper sign, and they. They leave, but then they get us out of a fight, you know, Millennium Falcon well, here's, style. Here's why I'm bringing right? this up. Here's why our show goes further than some of the other ones, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're talking about uh, what the alien would do if you're the advanced alien. And, mm -hmm. and we can all surmise that if you landed with, with your boys in Egypt, that you could very easily do some things to make them believe that you were a bit magical that you were possibly a god i i would what would an alien have to do now yeah in front of you guys to make us believe that they're a god is there anything that they could do or is the human race now so skeptical hmm. could god convince us that he's god that'd be that'd be kind because of this might be why aliens aren't coming to talk to us anymore and share tech well, if, if you want to come down as a god, that's one thing. If you want to come down as another, you know, another race to, you know, or another, you know, another equal, you know, humanoid being to share tech as, you know, to move science forward, that's another thing. That's, that's different though. And I mean, you're talking about, what is it? It was the, um, well, I know what it is, but I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, remember what is the prime, you know, the start, I mean, go back to Gene Ron and how yeah, great yeah. the prime directive, right? Do not interfere with another culture's uh, progression, natural progression, right? right. You don't, you don't want to leave them tech. You don't want to be the term. Ray Bradbury wrote a great story where you could only battle them with their technology. Right. <laughs> Right. So he was taking over planets. He would find warriors from a, another yeah. planet that had the same uh, tech, mm -hmm. and he would pay them, you know, as mercenaries to take over this planet. Yeah, <laughs> the Don King principle. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, very clever, right? And so, but yeah. to 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 put these rules, you know, to put these these limits on on how you interact with something deemed uh, less evolved or or less, you know, further down. Less advanced. Uh, Let's just say less technologically advanced, right? Less technologically advanced, but is that and so? But that becomes the ruler. See, it's not taller, smaller, heavier, right? It isn't. Right. It, it's it. It doesn't become a a question of of qualities that we can measure by looking. It it becomes a measurement of qualities of what you can produce, harness, use, build, engineer. How interesting is that? That that becomes the ruler that we use to measure each well, other. Well, I, lo I love that that's, I mean, that's the way we would communicate. And I know that that's how I would do it. And I know that that's how you would do it. And I know that that's how John would do it. You'd have to. You'd, You'd communicate to by showing them how to build stuff, showing them how to fix stuff. You know, it's uh, it's Patch Adams, you know, you made a friend because his cup stopped leaking, right? Imagine.
imagine being the you know the first to you know introduce the lever that's and then you well or even digging a reservoir it's the monolith right right? it's the monolith and the inspiration and what if you are the the inspiration what if you become the inspiration to something else sometimes you just have to be the one to and i hate using spark spark is, is is a cliche but you just have to be the one to stimulate the imagination and sometimes it goes a different path right there's you know nikola tesla had different ideas than what we carried forward in these 120 years yeah and it could have been completely different mm-hmm. absolutely different so um, so so we're getting to what i wanted what i wanted to get to we're talking yeah. about a first contact right right we're talking about a first contact and i want to talk about what first contact look what you think first contact will look like with your training with your leadership background with your military background with your aviation right. background you must have this built into you uh an, an intentional first contact mm-hmm. what what has to happen there what are the priorities you know it and has it happened on earth thousands of years ago did aliens need uh, the planet Earth, the same way we needed islands in the Pacific for some reason. Yeah, you figured that must come down, yeah. and would that would that first contact look like a jump in technology on the planet? You know, if it or was a jump in architecture. Yeah, if it were if it were you know conducted a little bit irresponsibly and overtly, then it becomes the cargo cult, just like you said. I mean, that was aptly placed when you talked about that because are we now a cargo cult? Are we a cargo cult that shares the same God Mm. across Abrahamic religions through different filters? And then we might be. Yeah, I I absolutely think that that's valid. And I think it's, it's funny that we haven't taken the cargo cult and, you know, the cargo cult is such a small uh, story that becomes almost, uh, you know, legend and uh, folklore-ish. I, I can tell you right now, if I grab 10 people on the street, they wouldn't, uh, maybe 40% would know what the cargo cult was and be able yep. to place yep. it properly in history. That's a shame because we, I, I would say that we probably are a giant cargo cult. It might and be, the cargo over. cults might be the most important uh, socio experiment in history. Basically. <laughs> well, 100%, 100% because it shows human, it demonstrates human behavior. It demonstrates how we, uh, explain what we don't understand. Okay. Uh, I love that it was a super friendly, it was a friendly first contact. Totally. Obviously. When you, our boys did really well. Yeah, no, they, and they didn't, they didn't try to be in charge. They shared what they had. So you would hope that, you know, and then you got to keep, you know, Klaatu Barada Nikto at the ready, just in case. (laughs) I said your words. Is it going to end up like that? Would it end up like, and and to, to think that they have the context that we had it, boy, one of the, when I was, you know, surfing the other, you know, possibilities of, you know, the other podcasts that had discussed this, you know, well, aliens have to have GPS. They absolutely do not. (laughs) <laughs> have a gps or any access to, that's what that's the most ridiculous part about close encounters i hate to say it as much as i love that movie is that they gave us gps coordinates using our coordinate system right, they, right. they absolutely would not have done that because that's super super advanced but personal math to us they that only would have our, done that if if they were from our future. That's the only way they would have done that. Certainly, right? And it, it, but that's our personal math using our personal GPS satellites and grid coordinate system. That you know, it isn't obvious. It's not obvious that way. It isn't, and it's to have it. You know, in sixty degrees too. Doesn't yeah. you know? Doesn't or, you know? Sixty minutes. I'm sorry. Sixty. I minutes love that's minutes. the thing that bothered what? you about. Why would you meet at that this latitude? Is me so happy. <laughs> well, no, seriously, sixty minutes per degree doesn't mathematically make sense. It no, it doesn't. doesn't. Well, you know that upsets me. I'm I, I I'm probably gonna spend a year traveling around the country pointing out math errors to people. <laughs> the fact that because the fact I think that that's we... an important coffee book coffee table book project that I need to do. Um, okay, so tell me why we're the only country that chooses to just like not use the metric system when it's probably the easiest system to convert 
you know, in between. It's we, so upsetting we, to me. It's uh, no, because, no, of, it's because so, of the cervix. Okay, but... <laughs> because of the cervix we prefer centimeters we prefer that have that in a vague measurement that we don't really understand tell me what 10 centimeters you tell me that thing that thing opened up to six inches i'm gonna freak out right so there you go yeah so we we just use sports balls sports balls as measurements that's how we that's how we communicate that's how we measure hail yeah Yeah. that's Hail is never measured by centimeters, meters, feet, inches. It's only my yeah. sport ball size. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you have to give it. You have to say, and, and we still measure, you know, engine power in terms of, you know, comparing it to Horses. a horse for cracking. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Power. So uh, the thing that the cargo we, cults we, we do that I think is the most interesting and fascinating, they still uh, clear that landing strip 75 years later. Oh, sure they, they, make, they make and ceremonial they ones. Some, so. They have built some things that look like planes. Uh-huh. That don't fly so that if right. if the gods are flying overhead they will see that they are welcome that's it and that's- this is making me think of a lot of the ancient architecture dude sure. not even ancient modern uh church imagery is the exact same thing yeah yeah you know and it looks like an invite a lot of it looks like an invitation to land here and uh-huh. a lot of it looks like sure it looks like what a ship would look like like this is this is what belongs here, you know. Uh, so if you're if you're flying over and you and you look like this, please land here again. The well, fact that the Nazca lines only take shape from a high altitude makes me so happy. Yeah, yeah it just right does. It just does. It's nothing you're going to see from a mountaintop miles away. It, it 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 has to be seen from above in something that flies. Now, whether that, think... If that's a balloon, then rock on, Montgolfier brothers. Sorry, the Mayans beat you to it, but they didn't. <laughs> they didn't. Well, I right? always talk about how the timeline is wrong. And, you know, when they say that, that you know, that things like the balloon or the wheel yeah. or even the match, you know, are 3,000 years old, I say, you're, you're wrong. They're older than that. They must older. be older. Sure. Yeah. Sure. You're, you're just, you know, your archaeology now says this, but there's no way. So do you believe that the Nazca lines are there because something landed years mm-hmm. ago and that yeah. something was pretty well trained and they offered uh, a snack and they communicated like we were talking about technology and then they, they fixed taught their craft and took off or their war ended or whatever. Do you believe that that's how those Nazca lines got there? I, they had to. They had to, and they were a, that's a, it was a signal to come back. Uh, it was like you you missed these things, or, or you know, by the way, we thought you were so cool. It, it was like you know, what do kids draw on their? Remember, we had the the little, the, the little trapper keepers and the little oh, folders, yeah. Oh, yeah. right? So, yes. how many kids drew the Van Halen logo mm-hmm. on their trapper keeper? Right? Yeah, they would just they would just they would draw something that they thought was the coolest thing ever, right? Yeah. To try to get the attention of somebody else who thought it was equally cool. The same thing as drawing. Hey, wait! You guys missed. You guys missed the animals. You missed the. You missed the. You know the, the horse or all these things that you need to come back and see. We're going to draw for you, and so you can see it and come back. That's exactly what it is. Why do it otherwise? I, I don't see that. There's no reason. I can't even think of a reason for us to do something otherwise. I flew over, the. Uh, I flew to Sedona, Arizona, and flew over the petroglyphs. Did it from okay. San Diego. We did a two-plane format there specifically to see these petroglyphs in the ground. And it was incredible. I mean, they're not mammoth like the, you know, the Nazca lines, but they're still there and still designed to be seen from the air. And, yeah. you know, it's, it, you know, to fly <laughs> over it and see it and feel like that's how it was intended to be seen from the seat that I'm sitting in, in a helicopter was it gave me chills. It gives me chills talking about it right now. Thank you to our guest today, Lieutenant Commander Dan Diceman Drake, U.S. Naval Aviator, and brother to our co-host uh, Tommy Drake. Tom, uh, we're not even really halfway through now. We have we have more open kimono to share in in a week or so. This is my older brother. I've been related to him my whole life 
I should have started talking to him way sooner. He is an interesting dude. He really yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. As uh, kids and teenagers, was it more just uh, was was he like uh, you know Chet from Real Geniuses or something like that? Or? No, you know what my my brother and I grew up as friends, legitimately as friends. He was such a good big brother, and he taught me to be a free thinker and a forward thinker. And you hear a lot of it in what in what he's talking about here. But that is a that is a trained military pilot who's flown over petroglyphs on the ground and says they have to be a signal to him. Well, they look very similar to the way that they uh, where they communicate at airports on the ground for approaching craft and things like that. It's it's been theorized that the Nazca lines and things like that is like that was just a a prehistoric. Um, you know, it was like uh, Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson Airport, but for for other right. ships. And so then even after they left and all that, you know, the, the locals knew that they used to land there. So they go out and try to draw pictures to come on back. We're we're open again. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cool theories. That, that well, and that's exactly what happened with the cargo cults is they still have runways there mm -hmm. that they keep clear. They want them to be able to land. Well, we've got more to talk about with that. We've got a whole other hour uh, left. We'll have Open Kimono 3 coming out uh, uh, very shortly. Other interviews we got coming up, uh, we have uh, 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 Brian Mallow, a uh, guy we've both known for years. Science comedian Brian Science Mallow. Science comedian Brian Mallow, one of the smartest guys I know, and I can't wait to ask him how the universe is going to end. Well, that'll be fun. Well, should we open with that? I think it's like that. Don't want to open with how does the universe end it seems anticlimactic after that i also of of all of my comedian friends you and brian mallow have the most interesting takes on time travel oh cool so i just want to throw that in there and sit back and listen to you two guys talk about time travel a well that'll be fun we'll have a special uh, edition on uh time travel with brian mallow here on after later and uh, that will debut three years ago We'll yes, make sure will. we go back and retroactively place it in to, to show that it worked. Yes, it will. It's uh -huh. already our most popular episode. We will try that. We will try that. Hey, folks, as you know, from listening to the show, we try to get interesting and unique people to be guests on our show. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be a comedian. We just want to have a good time with you. So if you or someone you know fits the bill and would like to be a guest on the After Later podcast, the best way to reach us is on Twitter. That's at After Later, A-F-T-E-R-L, the number eight, the letter E-R, or find us on Facebook. Just search for After Later podcast. Uh, once again, thanks to all of our subscribers on all the major podcast platforms. If you want to be cool, share the link and give us the holy trinity of online podcast media, a subscription, a rating, and a review. That's that's the full third base round the horn experience with us. If you love it, put a ring on it. That's how you that's how you do it for us. <laughs> uh, Tommy, really enjoy uh, having you um, uh, guest host these shows. I know we're kind of running up against a hard break at the end of July when you're going to go to sea for a month. And then who knows, I might be going to sea soon after that, but let's, we're going to stockpile a bunch of interviews and, and a bunch of good uh, stuff and find ways to creatively put these podcasts out even when we're both uh, at sea and in third world countries. Yeah, that's uh, that's my plan. I'm also going to figure out how to do some recording for you, whether or not I can send it to you. Uh, so I might do some little mini interviews of my own that you've done. That'll be fun. On. We'll be happy to, to share those and, and uh, you know, it's all part of the after later illegal wiretap uh, brand of uh, podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we'll be back. Uh, I think Brian Mallow's our next episode, then Open Kimono 3 coming up shortly after that. But thank you so much for listening. On behalf of my co-host, Tommy Drake, I'm John Wesling. Until next time. Bye.